Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Hello and welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Sarah Whitmire. My co-host Bob Zalsberg is out this week, so Joe Wren is back again. Hi, Joe. Hello. For decades, the American manufacturing job was a gateway to a middle-class life. Now, such jobs are under threat. While many jobs go overseas, as companies look to lower their employee costs, more and more jobs are going to robots. Manufacturing is a staple of the Hoosier economy. According to the National Association of Manufacturers, Indiana is the fifth largest manufacturer by output in the country, employing just less than 17 percent of the state's workforce. As automation in manufacturing continues to develop and expand, thousands of jobs are on the line in Indiana. Today, we're talking about the effect of automation on employment in Indiana and beyond. You can join the conversation on Twitter at Noon Edition by calling 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. We have uh, two guests in studio today and one joining us on the phone. Emily Warnell is here. She's a research assistant professor at Ball State Center for Business and Economic Research. Andrew Berger is a senior vice president of governmental affairs at the Indiana Manufacturers Association. And Robert James is on the phone. He's the president of the United Steelworkers Local 1999. Thank you all for being here thank today. You. Thank you. We're excited to have this conversation. Um, I guess we'll, if we can just start with you, Andrew, and just talk about how Indiana's workforce has changed over the years, maybe the last decade. Want to go back that far? Well, if you were talking about an automation, you need to go back probably to the 80s and 90s. I mean, Indiana hit the top level of manufacturing employment in the mid-90s, and that's about the time where the globalization of the economy and automation really started to accelerate. And there's been ups and downs. Uh, We're not back to where we were in the mid-90s, but since the recession, Indiana has added 109,000 manufacturing jobs, the only the second in the the nation as far as growth since uh, the bottom of the recession in 2009. And consequently, you know, it's it's not a declining industry in any way. It's a really growing industry that's contributing over $100 billion to Indiana's economy, the largest share by a significant amount. Um, Those jobs are also far more efficient than they used to be, and a lot of that is due to automation. If you look since 87, uh, the average manufacturing employee, and this is a national statistic, is two and a half times more efficient per hour than it was in 87. Compare that to the rest of the economy, and it's only one in 1.7 times more efficient or more productive. Um, so it's definitely – automation is absolutely hitting manufacturing and providing greater efficiency, more production level, and impacting jobs more than any other sector. But there's – it's not a negative story in any way because Indiana manufacturing companies and the workers can compete – uh, so much more efficiently and cost-effectively across the globe because we have the ability to automate and to make our production you know, better, uh, make more money, employ more people. And the data definitely shows that. What are some of the biggest ones in Indiana in terms of manufacturing? So uh, the auto industry is the, is the biggest okay. driver for sure. I mean, we have uh, – we're the only state that has the Japanese companies all three of the big ones, Subaru, Toyota, Honda, have a assembly plant in Indiana. We're the only state that has that. Of course, the domestics also have a big footprint. And then the enormous supplier network that comes along with those companies. Uh, but also, Indiana is the number one steel-producing state in the country. Uh, and you see that a lot up on the lakeshore. But also, all around the state, there's a lot of steel mills in Indiana. Uh, pharmaceuticals, of course. Uh, medical devices, that's kind of the highlights, uh, especially here okay. in Bloomington yeah. with Cook Medical. You see... A uh, big portion of manufacturing in this region is as medical devices as well. And Robert, as the president of the United Steelworkers, can you talk about how this has been affecting your membership? 
Well, after Carrier announced the closing back in uh, 2016, part of the agreement with uh, the state of Indiana was that they would be given a $7 million grant to start automation. It's something that they're looking into, but it hasn't been fully implemented at this point yet. Okay. What What about what Andrew um, was talking about in terms of the steel industry and the northern part of the state? Have you seen, you know, a loss of jobs up there with automation, or, or how are, how is how is it going up there? We feel that there's a possibility that once the automation is implemented, it is going to cause jobs. I mean, uh, automation replaces people, and. When you walk in stores and different things of that nature now and you see all these uh, automated checkout things, they have one person that's working there, you know, that handles all those checkout stands and different things of that nature. Uh, Indiana is experiencing quite a bit. Uh, I think a lot of places are going to do the automation. I just don't think that it will, uh, it might help the companies, but it's not going to help the uh, people that are looking for jobs. Okay. And Emily, you study the impacts of automation on people and communities. I'm just curious what you think in terms of, do you view automation as a threat to workers and and Hoosiers? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, um, the... Well, not absolutely. I think there's kind of two sides <laughs> okay. of it. But one of the reports that um, that uh, my colleagues and I did this last year was looking at the future of automation. Um, and what we found was that um, as much as two-thirds of jobs in some counties in Indiana are at risk for being automated in the future. So, I mean, it has the potential to be a really, really massive impact. And, of course, there are going to be economic impacts. I mean, people think so much of of automation as being um, an income issue or something like that for people when they lose their jobs. But there's there's such broad impacts that um, that we really need really need to be focused kind of more broadly than just economics and finances. So we find that there are really significant health impacts. There are really significant intergenerational educational impacts. There are significant community-wide impacts. Um, And these are very, very long-term issues. And so it's not a short-term issue of I've lost my job and I no longer have that income. So we need, we're need we really wanting to broaden that um, understanding and that discussion about automation a little bit more. If I can ask about the uh, – the, you mentioned the healthcare aspects. A lot of the feedback that we get from our member companies is that automation, when it comes into a, a workplace, it takes some of the, the most high-stress, dangerous jobs first. Uh, I'm thinking some of the auto places, they – put in a machine that helps the ergonomic process so that the individual doesn't have as many back problems or, you know, uh, if it's a real detailed manufacturing process that can be automated, uh, less stress on hands and carpal tunnel syndrome and things like that. So have you seen any benefits to the health of the workforce because of automation? Because that's a some feedback that I've got. Sure, yeah, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, and I think that you're right in terms of um, kind of the the physical health aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that we find is that there are really significant mental health um, impacts of not just automation, but the fear of automation. So the last report that we did um, looked at jobs that are at risk of automation, so they haven't been automated yet, and what the health outcomes are of those workers. And just being afraid that your job is going to be automated, I mean, it's something that we're talking about in society so much now, really has negative health outcomes on people's mental health in particular, Um, and also physical health. So not necessarily those repetitive types of tasks, but more of the... um, I mean, losing your job to automation um, increases uh, cardiovascular risk. It increases um, the uh, uh, people applying for disability. It increases suicide risk. It actually increases mortality for over 20 years for people who have lost their jobs. And what we found is that those effects are starting even before their jobs are lost. I'm, I'm curious, Andrew, do you, do you think there are jobs that automation can't do? Potentially, I, I, I'm struck by uh, the the fear comment. I'm, and it's absolutely a truth of business that long term planning is an increasingly narrow window. You 
to plan out 10 years or to be able to predict what jobs are going to be available, uh, the health of the companies, who they're going to be selling their products to, that amount of time is getting shorter and shorter. So that's, I think, just the reality of the situation. And if that's what's causing the stress on, I mean, not just the you know, the, the production worker, but anybody involved with, you know, a company that's trying to compete in a highly competitive industry that's competing against people not just in Indiana or in the Midwest, but all over the world. Um, you know, that's, I think that's the reality that everybody's facing, and it, that's less associated with automation and just how do these companies, you know, compete and how is it going to be in the in the next five or ten years? It's just they're very hard questions to answer for anybody involved. Well, and I I would um, so that fear kind of part of it that fear of automation is kind of the beginning of that. Um, but what we also find is that there are really significant mental and physical health outcomes for people who have been whose jobs have been automated, who have lost their jobs due to automation. Mm-hmm. So I think certainly there's that part of the um, kind of that fear part, which might be partly this kind of stressful, um, uncertain economic environment that people are living in, but it definitely continues throughout that entire job loss process. You know, we were talking about worker safety. I could I bet I could see the same in the steel industry, Robert. How how do you take automation in the steel industry and put that toward worker safety, but then at the same time, uh, that fear, kind of trying to d- decrease that fear from moving those workers to a different type of job? Well, I would think that, you know, the fear for – most workers that are that would start to experience the the transition with automation and the safety of it. I think the safety aspect of it is, is is pretty well. I mean, I think it does pretty good there. But it's just the fact, period, that that the automation is going to to take jobs away. I mean, and I say that because in the plant that I came from, we the company implemented some. Uh, Two machines that took 12 jobs off of the line, but it necessarily didn't do anything for them safety-wise because it caused the operator to have more repetitive uh, motion where he had to do more work, more bending, more lifting, and different things of that nature. And I didn't see where it, where it really did a whole lot for it. Hmm. Today on Noon Edition, we're talking about automation. Uh, You can join the conversation, 812-855-0811. You can also email your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. I want to ask you, Emily, just the concept of employment and just by definition, I guess, how is that? How do you see that changing or continuing to change in Indiana? As you know, or I guess I'm saying as automation increases. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's I think what we're starting to recognize is that employment isn't just about having a job, um, that it, it impacts so many other different parts of life. Um, and I think that we particularly see it with things like automation. So it's not just um, that I'm getting an income from this particular activity that I do all of the time. But um, employment has carries with it a lot of um, status. It carries with it a lot of m- mental health impacts. It carries with it a lot of community impacts. And so that's really more kind of what we're focused on when we're starting to look at what does it mean to lose your job due to automation? It's not just about losing your job. Um, and I think that people are starting to recognize that a lot more than we have in the past. Um, and, um, and and when you get something in a community where there's a lot of people losing their job due to automation at the same time, um, then kind of the health of the community in general is, is really impacted. And I would say that the same is true for offshoring. So this isn't just um, just related to automation for sure. The difference is that job loss related to offshoring in the foreseeable future is going to be significantly smaller than job loss due to automation. Okay. I, I, I would agree with that, uh, but that's not presently the circumstance. If you uh, look at stat, state data, today there's anywhere between 10,000 to 15,000 manufacturing jobs unfilled in Indiana. So we, we are desperate for workers. Uh, nearly every single one of my members is 
looking to hire people, and it's our number one issue and has been for a number of years, the IMA, is getting the state you know, training programs, uh, increasing the, the, the good view of manufacturing as not just a job but as a career with you know, long-term benefits to you and your family uh, because I think the, the image isn't great right now. Uh, and that goes back decades. We're desperate for people right now, and if we can't find workers and you have this long-term period where you have unfulfilled positions, if you want to grow as a business, you're almost being forced into capital investment and automation. Because if you have 20 openings, um, but you want to add a new product line that has you know 60 new jobs, you're not going to be able to do that unless you find machines who can perform those tasks. Because if you can't fill 20, you're not going to be suddenly able to fill 80. Now, this is low, not, you know, this is generally across the state. There are localized circumstances, getting people to move job, you know, move their families uh, to where the jobs are. Uh, is not an easy thing to do, but um, we don't have, an, our, our, our issue right now isn't firing, it's hiring. And that's, um, you know, pushing people to automate more. If we had more workers in manufacturing, it wouldn't be as big a drive to automate, I think, um, as it is today. But do you think that the part of the reason some of those jobs are going unfilled is because of a fear that maybe I need it, to... It could. And that's yeah. why I mentioned the, the image of the industry. I mean, we, there's kind of this sense that manufacturing is something that won't be around or, uh, it, you know, you're going to just be stressed out worrying about automation, uh, that your job won't be there. Uh, and that and that may be the case in some circumstances, but the reality facing businesses, manufacturing businesses in Indiana right now is that there aren't available workers. Uh, and that's, I mean, that is hurting uh, our industry's growth. There's no doubt. I, I'm curious if you, if you wanted to weigh in on that, Robert, is that sort of, is that how you see it? Well, when he said that, when he was talking about the jobs and different things that were being offered, I mean... I watched in my local, uh, we lost over a thousand jobs, uh, and our people are still looking for jobs. Um, we know the jobs that are that are out there, but the jobs that that, that moved overseas uh, from our our local paid more, and the jobs that that are out here now pay less. And I think that that's, um, I mean, that's something that you hear a lot from um, from the manufacturing industry is um, that there are all of these jobs that are unfilled, and, and something that that my my um, center is is looking at now is um, the connection between kind of workforce development and and trying to fill these jobs, and whether or not um, there's some there's some market. Um, there's some market corrections that normally would be happening where people would be paid more if there's all of these jobs are going unfilled. Like, right, you you pay more and people are going to be more likely to go into those jobs. And so we're we're looking at why that why that's not happening right now. And and a potential issue is that um, kind of the the workforce development in the state is is artificially suppressing wages um, in those jobs. And so it's a little bit more difficult to get them to get them filled. What do you mean by that, the workforce development part of it? Um, so kind of pushing this training um, where um, where there's getting there's a lot of people who are being trained to do these kind of lower skill jobs. And so it's keeping it's keeping the um, the income for those particular jobs down. And so then people also aren't going to universities or they're not going to um, to the uh, trade schools or something like that that would give them the skills in order to fill those kind of medium-skilled jobs. And so a lot of the lower-skilled jobs are, are what we're seeing being filled and maybe some of the higher skill, but a lot of that area where there's no... Um, there's not necessarily a lot where people are looking to fill positions or those more well, medium skill jobs. I want to disagree a little bit. Manufacturing is the third highest weekly wage for a, a production worker in Indiana. Uh, that's after financial activities and construction, and they're all very close. Um, add into manufacturing, it's the number one offer and take up rate for healthcare and retirement benefits. So. You do see actually very well compensated positions that are left open. 
Now, there are limits to stay to meet the bottom line that companies, you know, there, there are wage pressures. There's no doubt about it uh, from the employer's perspective. But it's, it's not, I mean, manufacturing is not um, unable to hire workers, at least generally speaking, because of low wages or, or, or you know, the lack of benefits. I mean, those are being offered. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of other reasons why, I, I mean, we're speculating a little bit about why people aren't looking into this industry when there are these openings. And some of it's where the jobs are compared to where the people looking are. I think um, Robert was hitting on that pretty directly. But it's, it's not a wage issue. But those numbers that you're citing are also across the entire industry. And there are some and jobs not, that are no. really, really high. Yeah, no, that's and just then- the production workers. Well, sure, but there are still going to be some areas where they're paid very well and some some where yeah, they're yeah, not. That's right. well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's what I'm mm-hmm. saying is that that's that's an average the numbers that you're giving. That's true. And we're talking about workforce development, education. How readily accessible is that? Where is the state in, uh, of Indiana in that? Because I would assume that goes a long way into automation as well, technology, changing yeah. uh, information. Anyone want to just jump in on that? Well, uh, it, it is it is a problem. I mean, we we spend a lot of dollars, public mm-hmm. and private, uh, way more private sector dollars, as you'd expect, than than what the public sector does uh, in doing workforce development. That's just not manufacturing. I mean, that I mean, there's a employment it's crisis in nursing. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I th- you know, utility companies can't find linemen. Um, I mean, it's it's across the board. We we spend a lot of money. I think. The criticism that I hear is that it's too uh, dispersed across too many different programs, and there's not enough accountability to say, okay, if you're running a program that spends X amount of dollars, are these people getting a new job or a wage increase after the training that, you, that you've been able to receive? Um, you know, a lot of people, at least a lot of our uh, members are saying – they need more than just a high school degree to come and do this. And a lot of that is tied to automation. You have to be able to work with the, the equipment in a modern manufacturing plant. And that's going to take more than just what you learn. Even if you're in a, a CTE program in the high school, a technical training program, when you get to these employers, you're going to have to be able to learn how to operate this equipment. And that is that has been a change in the last 20 years or so. Emily, do you agree with that? Yeah, so I do think that that is um, that's something that does need to be really emphasized at this point is because there is so much automation. I mean, and the other thing to be said is that automation is also going to be creating jobs on one end, and that's something that we we really can't anticipate. I mean, certainly when um, you know the automobile was created and kind of that that automation happened, that created a whole lot of jobs that never were going to be anticipated before. And you would assume that the same thing is going to happen. So we will also be having new jobs that are coming. What we really need to make sure and what workforce develop, development really needs to focus on is making sure that we have workers who can fill today's jobs that we still need, but then also have the ability to learn to do those new jobs that we don't anticipate having right, right now. And I think that yeah. that's one of the areas that, that isn't really happening. We're really focusing on let's fill these jobs that we need, these mm-hmm. positions that are left open. But if we're just focusing on that particular skill set, it doesn't really open up the opportunity for people when they do get their jobs automated of learning a new skill set and moving into a new type of job. And that's a, a big focus. Just not preparing for the future, yep. it sounds like. Today on Noon Edition, we're talking about automation. We do have to take a short break here, but when we come back, we'll talk to our panelists for another 30 minutes or so. This is Noon Edition. We'll be right back. From the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. 
And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines. Plus, the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Hello and welcome back to Noon Edition on WFIU. Today we're talking about automation. Uh, A lot of jobs in Indiana are in the manufacturing sector, so it's a good conversation. We have Emily Warnell today. She is a research assistant professor at Ball State Center for Business and Economic Research. Andrew Berger is a senior vice president of governmental affairs at the Indiana Manufacturers Association. And we have Robert James, who's the president of the United Steelworkers. You can join our conversation today by calling 812-855-0811 or joining the live chat by tweeting at Noon Edition. We're going to start the second half here by going straight to the phones. We'll go to Remy, who is from Bloomington. Remy, go ahead. Hello, Remy? Yes. Go ahead with your question. Oh, I guess I was just wondering um, if there's any discussion about uh, how uh, automation can uh, help with quality. Um, I don't know that anybody's really talked about that. And I think that a lot of uh, manufacturing has moved in that direction to focus on quality and how automation can uh, increase the quality standard. And so... Okay. Thanks, Remy. Andrew, do you want to take that one? Yeah, he's right, of course. I mean, it's a competitive aspect of business. Um, if you're trying to sell a product that isn't is not as uh, doesn't have as high a quality as your competitor, that's going to be an issue. And an automated process typically is uh, a little bit more uh, exact as far as quality standards go. So, pretty simple answer. Right. That yeah, I mean, yes, run, you're right. We run into some issues here um, as far as in our manufacturing process, where a lot of what we do, um, if we send uh, products that you know aren't up to a quality standard, then we end up taking the hit on that. Yeah. And so a lot of what we try to do is limit that by, by creating automation around our manufacturing process. But then, there, of course, there are areas where you can't, where there's more of like a visual process where a human has to interact and be aware for quality, you know, on different, you know, for example, a lens assembly that has to be, you know, seen by a human being to, to really see the, the imperfections and something, something like that, where you can't, you know, do... Uh, automation on that. But um, I just think it's an important, you know, because our quality standards as a whole when it comes to the industry is greatly increasing. Yeah, and when when businesses are looking at, uh, you know, where to invest money for automation, it's usually they try to hit the areas where they're having quality problems or, you know, slowdowns in the production process. So not surprising that that's his experience or your experience. Thank you, Remy. Right. Andrew, yeah. do, you, do you feel like you. people companies that, that you work with regularly, do they want to see more automation, do you think? Or are there – I guess it, it feels like we're sort of having this difficult – we're in this difficult position where we need to plan for the future, but we also have to fill these jobs of today. So Yeah. Uh, they, they, they want to stay competitive. And if automation is what it takes, they're going to do that. Uh, you know, it's, it's much better to have healthy companies – hiring people in Indiana. And if you have a higher labor cost, uh, not saying that that's a bad thing, but if you do, you're going to have to reduce your costs in some other areas. Uh, So automation is going to be part of that. That is necessary to be competitive. And again, as I said before, this very, um, you know, globalized market that that we're living in. And for a company to be in Indiana investing here, if automation is what it takes, I mean, I'm fully supportive of, of them doing that. Okay. Well, and we just saw that report yesterday at a small town in Mitchell, Indiana, a cement factory that's getting a $600 million uh, modernization from their, their parent company. So this is also happening in very rural areas of the state, too. This just isn't a, a big city type. Oh, urban yeah. No, thing. there's manufacturing's everywhere in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I mean, small towns, big cities. Uh, and that's great. I mean, that's what we want to see. If, if to keep that business in, in Mitchell vibrant takes a 60 or whatever, $600 million, $600 million yeah. capital investment, uh, you know, that's essentially the definition of my job is making that investment 
attractive to to these worldwide companies or parent companies or holding companies or whatever it is. Um, so glad to hear that for sure. Well, on the other side of that um, is th- that's something that we found as well is that um, automation and the risk of automation in the future is really kind of th- throughout um, throughout the the state, but it also was really. Um, the risk of automation is really concentrated in some of our more rural communities, um, which is additionally problematic just because the the labor market is so much thinner in those places. And so that is, again, where you really start seeing these long-term community and family impacts. Um, and we haven't gotten a chance to talk about it yet, so I do just want to mention some of those intergenerational impacts. And one of the things that we see is that um, – I mean, beyond just the health impacts, beyond kind of the um, the social network impacts, you know, if people do end up needing to move for a job, then breaking up those social networks, things like that. Um, one of the most kind of uh, problematic areas is that we see the children of parents who have been laid off due to automation or to offshoring um, end up uh, are more likely to repeat a grade. They're more likely to drop out of school. They're more likely to be suspended from school. They have less um, ec- uh, less educational attainment over their entire lifetime, and they end up having less um, income over their entire lifetime. And because they have less economic attainment and, education, and um, uh, educational attainment and income over their lifetimes, their children are, are are likely to have less than they would have, and their children are likely to have less than they would have. So they are there are these really long term intergenerational issues, and so yes, of course, businesses are going to be looking at um, uh, what's best for their bottom line. Their businesses, of course, they are. But I think the state and communities, when we're talking about creating businesses or we're talking about um, trying to do job attraction into communities, really need to be looking at the potential for these long-term impacts, not just the short-term, oh, this business says they're going to create 100 jobs. If 100 jobs are concentrated in these areas that are likely to be automated in the next 10 or 20 years, um, then what is, what's really the impact on the community? Um, is there some other way that we can be engaging these, these businesses that are getting tax abatements, that are getting, um, um, that are getting benefits? Is there some other way that we can engage them to ensure that the communities continue to benefit even after these jobs are automated? Robert, can you talk a little bit about that from your perspective, just in terms of you know, what, what's it like when someone loses their job because of automation? What's the likelihood they land on their feet and, and, and what you've seen? Well, from what I've seen, and as she just said, um, it, it's kind of hard because automation, as we were just, as it, I needed to comment on this because of the fact that automation targets the, the, the low-skill employee. And that's the one that's, that's affected. And then it creates jobs for the skill trade. And when these people go back out to look for jobs because they've been affected by this situation, they still don't have the skills. I think companies really need to create programs like apprenticeship programs and different things of that nature to help an employee create a skill, you know, so that as they get ready to make these changes and different things that the employee is ready to make that adjustment. I'm, I'm curious, when Carrier uh, outsourced some of its jobs, we were talking a little bit during the break, but just about the trade adjustment assistance program, is that mm-hmm. something that was made available to those workers? And, and I guess if you can explain how that works, if, if you know enough about it, Robert. Okay. Uh, when Carrier did what they did, Uh, the TA came in and it allowed workers to sign up for it, uh, to take different kinds of training that would help help them in the future. Uh, Some of these employees from Carrier at Rexnord and different things of that nature are still uh, taking the training. It was offered to them by the federal government. Uh, A lot of them have taken advantage of it of it, and a lot of them couldn't take advantage of it because of what their age was. They were so close to, you know, um, retirement that um, it didn't matter if they took a skill trade or not because of their age, nobody was going to hire them. 
I was I was reading that Senator Donnelly, I think he's a he might be a co-author on this bill called the Automation Adjustment Act. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? I've heard about it. It would ex- it looks yeah, like it I've would extend it. trade adjustment assistance to workers who lose their job to automation. What's your opinion of that, Andrew? Is this something that that you think it would be is helpful in the long term? To be determined, I think. You know, I, I've heard good and bad about how effective the TAA is. And I don't know if Robert has have a similar opinion. It sounds like maybe there were some holes even in his uh, recent experience. So um, there there is a lot of money that's spent on work, worker training. And uh, if the federal government has a program, Senator Donnelly and his, and his colleagues have, a, have an idea to target those that are displaced by automation, um, you know, that a trained workforce is a benefit to everybody. So I'm in favor of that, but we want the programs to work well. And, you know, their their successes and failures is on the TAA probably will be the same with uh, if this thing goes into effect uh, with an Automation Adjustance Act. I, and the only time that you offer training is when plants are closing down or when plants are moving. Uh, I see a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. No, we need to do it before. Be yeah. Yep. Within the uh, within the companies, in order to help them train their workers and get them ready as they get ready to go into all of this. And Robert said something that was really important um, earlier that I, that I wanted to highlight as well is that um, what we find is the concentration of job risk due to automation really is with workers who have less educational attainment and are already making less income. Um, so. Uh, the potential for job loss is really concentrated in those um, those those workers who are already more more vulnerable and who have fewer skills that they're going to be able to um, transfer to another job. So the workers with higher levels of skills have more transferable skills. So if they lose their job, they're more likely to be able to find another one pretty easily. So if the um, if the AAA is able to um, really target those folks and, and get them those transferable skills that they need, the, the lower skill folks, um, then it could be successful. I do think that, again, going back to this issue of maybe it's it's we need to be making sure that that training happens before people lose their jobs in general, which might also impact the health outcomes of, of that fear that we talked about earlier. If they're getting training so that they know that they can move into another job, even if their job is automatable, then it might it might lower that transitional cost, you know, um, and also it has the potential to help kind of long-term intergenerational things if there's not as much of a disruption in the family. 812-855-0811, or you can email questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Be a part of our conversation today on automation. I wanted to, to just follow up on that, Emily. Do, do you see this as something that is just sort of broadening the the income inequality gap? Mm-hmm. As we're talking? Yeah, absolutely. I do. Um, because... Um, it's not just that somebody loses their job and loses their income, and then eventually they're going to find a job that's going to put them at exactly the same income. That's not how it works. People lose their job to automation. They tend to be laid off for quite a while. The jobs that they do end up finding for a while are part-time. They're not very stable. They'll be in and out of jobs a lot more. Um, if they do find a long-term full-time position, it's typically at less money than they were making their original job. Um, and it has kind of fewer benefits. It has less prestige. It has less um, responsibility. And so that's just the worker themselves. So you can see that that gap increasing versus those folks who were laid off due to automation who have transferable skills and can go right n- into another job. But then again, looking at that intergenerational issue um, where it impacts their children's earning potential and it impacts their their grandchildren's earning potential versus the kids of the the folks who are able to go right into another job with much fewer disruptions. Um, and yeah, you can see a, you can see it in our society that there's this this big um, uh, wealth gap and and automation is certainly and the way that we're dealing with automation today isn't helping that. 
What about just the argument about um, you know uh, a bigger bottom line or, or more productivity, more money for the company? Does that equal higher wages or in terms across the board? I don't think that you're saying that, um, no. and that's par- that's part of part of the problem. Um, is that again we've got all of these jobs that aren't being filled. Uh, one of the market corrections for that is that people would be offered more money to fill those positions, and that's not happening. Statewide number, but I think we Indiana was one of the top states, and this is a recent statistic in income growth. Uh, and this is every job there is, I think. I don't have an, a manufacturing-specific number. So my sense is that we are actually starting to see that growth in wages, and it's a supply and demand issue. I mean, there's competition for workers right now, and I mean, Economics 101 says you're going to have, like you mentioned, you're going to have to pay more to, to attract that, that individual. You know, automation also can't be cheap. I mean, a, a it's lot. definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> this is not yeah. something that no. just kind of no. they flip a switch and uh, no. there you go. So, no. I mean, it creates more pollution. There's, there, I mean, there's a lot of different disadvantages as well. With Have you ever seen an instance where the, the automation just doesn't work in a company? There are probably examples. I mean, that's, that's not my perception of right. it at all. I mean, right. they, because it's so expensive – and there's all these other impacts when you do automation. Companies are pretty strategic about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, on, I mean, just because you mentioned it, the environmental side, like, that's very heavily regulated. So they're going to have to, I mean, there's permitting there's a lot involved. There's a lot that goes involved into it. Yeah. Uh, so you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, th- these are all things that, that the companies themselves take a lot of consideration on whether, you know, what move to make and where to spend the money and what the impact's going to be on their business. I'm curious, Robert, just from your perspective, I know with Carrier, that was a case where jobs were outsourced. Today, we're talking about automation, but what do you see as the biggest challenge for Hoosier workers, if you if you had to choose between those two? Um, uh, I'm not, I would think that, as I stated basically earlier, is that I just feel that training is important, um, that the worker needs to be trained ahead of time, because you've got companies now that, like the carrier facility, for instance, where you've had unions try to work with these companies, and these companies come up with second-tier pays, and you've got all these workers working together, and they're making, they're doing the same jobs, and they're making two different uh, amounts of money. And I don't know. I really, I'm, not, I'm just not sure on that one. Okay. We'll go to the phones here. We have Greg from Columbus is on the line with a question. Greg, go ahead. Yes, I'm a skilled tradesman. I'm a tool maker. I've been in the trade for 30 years. And, uh, you know, but the small company that I work for, Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. And uh, when I've tried to change jobs, for example, to a corporation, just the way that they're set up, I would have to take a large cut in pay just because I've been in one place so long. So they're not really encouraging people to come. And the other question I had uh, is uh, my wife had to go into the workforce a couple of years ago because my income, even though most people would think it's good, wasn't enough to support two people. And uh, all the jobs available in uh, our area are less than what Walmart pays. You know, $10 an hour, and you're doing skilled work. I mean, and she has college degrees. It's not like she's not trainable, but there was never any offer to train her. They expected her to invest several thousand dollars going to Ivy Tech or someplace and hope she got a job that might pay $2 more an hour. Okay, I'll let our our panelists react to that. Andrew? Well, just on his his last point, um, there is a lot of assistance to help reduce those out-of-pocket training costs. 
Um, you know, sometimes that flows through the company. Sometimes it's directly. I mean, Ivy Tech, because as an example, has uh, tuition assistance programs for what sounds like just that very type of situation. I mean, we've spoken in generalities here. I mean, none of these rules is or any of these numbers that I've cited or you know, opinions expressed is going to apply in every single situation, in every single community. I mean, we're talking generally across Indiana, across the nation. Um, but, um, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that there are well-paying manufacturing jobs that are going unfilled in the state. Emily, did you want to, to comment on Greg's? Well, just from my personal experience, I said I am a skilled trades, CNC, you know, person, and I can move to another company and probably take to have, you know, a $5 cut in pay just to change jobs. And uh, I can't afford that. And, uh, you know, my wife was running a CNC machine at a large manufacturer here in Columbus that actually built a new factory at Anderson because they said they couldn't find enough workers here. Well, that's because they're not paying anything. (laughs) Well, and I think it's... um nationally if you're if you look at the job growth nationally um, most of the job growth is happening for folks with at least some college but a college degree that's where most of it is happening well, she's got a lot of college she actually got a degree in social work and come to find out social work pays about minimum wage <laughs> yeah yeah but you look at um, if you look at job growth in Indiana most of the job growth is happening for folks with a college degree or for a high school degree or less. So our job, like there are, there is job growth in Indiana, but it is the lower skilled, lower income job growth. Um, that's where she does have education. Yep. And, well, and, and that's where, but that's where the, the jobs are going to be where people can find whether or not they have a college degree or not. The jobs that are, are being created in Indiana are very different than the jobs that are being created nationally. Um, and so our trajectories are, are just really different right now. Okay. Well, thank right. you, Greg. Yep. We appreciate you calling in the number today, 812-855-0811. You can also join the conversation by tweeting at us at Noon Edition if you have a question. We're talking about automation on today's show. Um, I I'm wondering, Andrew, when we're talking about manufacturing and the state has, you know, a very solid manufacturing, you were saying it's more than $100 billion. $102 billion. $102 billion. Mm -hmm. Do you view that at all as a risk if so many of our eggs are in sort of this one basket and if we already don't have some of the workers? Yeah, as the the, uh, uh, member of the Indiana Manufacturing (laughs) Association, it's not a risk in any way. Um, This... uh, Going back for decades, I mean, this has been the entree into the middle class for Americans and Hoosiers. Um, expect that to continue. I mean, there, Indiana is very competitive uh, across across the globe for investment. Uh, we have a lot of uh, global companies that, that spend a lot of dollars both hiring and investing capital in the state. Um, and, you know, it's our hope that that's going to continue. Now it may the the production processes are going to look different. That's the subject of today's show. I think that's um, obvious and necessary to to keep that competitive edge, and that's what we're doing. Uh, arguing to policymakers, um, your listeners, every day. Emily, I'm curious, just from your perspective, if you think that this is a risk for the state and the overall state's economy to have to to have such a, a good manufacturing climate. I suppose. Um, you know, I think what I would look at a little bit more, I would I take a like a smaller perspective okay. at a community <laughs> level, and I look at whether or not it's it's going to be a benefit to to a community because Indiana is such a business friendly state, and so we do give a lot back to businesses in order to 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 settle here and to create jobs here. But if those jobs are going to be lost in the next 10 or 12 years and the communities and the states are still on the hook for tax abatements that they've been offered to those or the, to those businesses that are being created, we're losing money because of that. Um, we're not really getting the returns that we're being promised. And so that's a concern that certainly that I have that I think that communities and the state need to be working with businesses a little bit more. I... Um, 
just looking at the data, looking at where job growth is happening in the state and happening in manufacturing, I question whether or not it is still an entree into the middle class. Um, And so that would be, I think that we need to be looking at whether or not that's actually true. And Andrew, I think we'll give you the last word here, but if you can talk, what do you think that Indiana and Hoosiers need to be doing now to prepare for the jobs of the future? Well, the... I think it's been discussed a couple of times, you know, the training requirements of the person entering one of these facilities their first day on the job are are much higher than they used to be. Um, And the state, through its programs, if we're spending, you know, whatever it is, a billion dollars is one number I've – general number that I've heard about how much Indiana – and this is higher ed, high schools, and uh, adult training. Uh, It needs to be done as efficiently with – the idea towards raises and employment growth as, as we can make it. Uh, that's, that's the thing that the, the state can do, uh, make their programs as efficient as possible, and just, you know, talk to the businesses, make sure that they are living up to their obligations if they have incentives. I mean, that's all uh, entirely appropriate. Um, there's no easy answer, and, and I, it's like I said, predictability is is very very hard in this in this world that we're living in, and that's and that's for you know the the person looking for a job to the to the CEOs of these companies. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, there is there is no silver bullet here. Okay, we're going to have to end there. That's all the time we have for today's noon edition. I want to thank our guests for joining us. This has been a good conversation. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you for having us. For our producers, Patrick McGurr, engineer Mike Pascash, and co-host Joe Wren, I'm Sarah Whitmire. This is Noon Edition. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and The Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.